You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Dan Salimua joined the Kansas City Chiefs from the Detroit Lions prior to the 1989 season as a Plan B free agent. Plan B was the late 1980s version of the NFL restricted free agency where teams could only protect 37 of their players. Very few players had as much success after signing with their new teams as Sally Mua did with the Chiefs. In his second year with the team, he was selected All-Pro. In the seventh year with the team, he was selected to the Pro Bowl. He played in 125 of the Chiefs' 128 games over eight years that he was in Kansas City. As the nose tackle, he plugged up the middle of the defensive line, which allowed edge rushers Derek Thomas and Neil Smith to get to the opposing quarterback. He was also a fan favorite because of his ever-present smile and his high energy on the field. Dan, welcome to Sports Connections. Thank you. Thank you. The, the, the easy first question is, did you have as much fun on the football field as it appears you did? Oh, uh, yeah, it was a no-brainer. But, I mean, back then in the 90s, you know, uh, you were the only show in town and and, and – you know, uh, you know, you got guys like Derek Thomas and, and, and Neil Smith and Tracy Simeon. And, you know, I just think about all those guys. And it was like, you know, we hung out. You yeah. Know, uh, we, we did things together. And, I mean, off the field, you know, besides yeah. on the field. But um, it, it was just uh, it was one of those kind of things that you, you, you uh, look forward to, to, to participating. And it was fun was because. Every Sunday, they were the same guys were always there on the field with you. Yeah. yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it, yes, it was a blast. And then, then it got real, uh, you know, when it came down to economics. Yeah. And uh, you have to, how you say, uh, you know, you got to make a choice. And, yeah. you know, the one thing I learned early in my career uh, from another player, uh, Joe Ferguson. Of oh, the Buffalo Bills, mm-hmm. uh, he told me, uh, "Fire your agent." He goes, "Cause that prick, all he does is steal your money." And I went, "Dang!" And he goes, "Get all the money you can and get the hell out of this business." Now, yeah. I'm saying it. I'm saying it rated, rated on PG, cause that's not the words he used on me, but it it, yeah. it didn't make sense because you're, you're you're trying to survive training camp, and uh, I was in Detroit, you know. He just happened to – all the quarterbacks were sitting there. And he looked at me and he says, hey, Rook. And I looked at him and I said, who, me? <laughs> so he was going to give you some advice. It didn't make sense at the time. Yeah. Uh, until uh, until my 10th year in the league. And, and then that's when the economics kicked in. Yeah. And he says, uh, you need to take a pay cut. What? Joe Ferguson. That's all mm-hmm. I remember. Joe Ferguson. Get all the money you can to get the hell out. So, yes, we had a blast. Yeah, I mean, it, it was going to say that all the business stuff aside, and and every professional athlete deals with business to some extent. Even the guys that are making, you know, forty, fifty million, they're still making sure everything's in line. But there's there's joy in playing the game, and and I I always enjoyed watching you because you look like you were just out there having fun. And oh yeah, you got paid pretty well to do it, but you were having fun. Oh yeah. You know, uh, but it's like I said, it was one of those, uh, you know, I give you one shot. Yeah. One shot. 
And it's up to you whether or not you make the advantage of your shot. So, like I said, uh, you know, out of all those guys back in the 90s that I played with, the only guy I talked to is Joe, Joe, uh, Joe Phillips and Tracy Simeon. Yeah. I check on Joe here and there, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know? Yeah. Tracy Simeon, you know, he's busy down in Texas. Joe lives up in Oregon. And, you know, we just we just call each other and just say, you all right, bro? You all right? Okay. You know, everything good? Yes, yes. Did you lose any weight? I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> you you but, mentioned you mentioned the economics, Dan. Did, is that what caused you to choose to leave Detroit after two years? Obviously, the Plan B thing was part of it. You weren't one of the 37 that, that the, the Lions protected. Is that why you chose to leave Detroit? No. So, short story, uh, during Plan B, teams were flying people in on Friday, do a physical little workout, about about a what happened with me was after my, after my second year in the NFL, I, uh, my wife bought me a ticket and it was the ticket to the Fiesta Bowl in 1988. It was Notre Dame versus West Virginia. Right. Lou Holtz, uh, versus, uh, May, uh, the quarterback was, uh, Major Harris. Yes. Major Harris. Yeah. And so for 50 bucks, you get uh, a you get a ticket to the Fiesta Bowl, and you get a, get on the bus and you drink all the beer you want to the game, and then when you come back, you get a meal. Anyways, I'm sitting next to this guy during the game. You know, we get to talking, and he he he's a foreman of a, a construction site, pouring concrete. Anyways, you know, we poured. So he offered me a job, and at the time, you know. Sure, I ain't doing nothing else. This is January. Anyways, uh, you know, so Saturday, Friday, Saturday's at big poor days. So my agent goes, hey, Dan, uh, you know, I, I receive a, a certified letter from the Detroit Lions saying, you're now a free agent. And I went, you just cut me? That's all I said. I go, I thought I got cut. And um, Marty Schottenheimer just signed with Kansas City. Mm -hmm. Well, teams were trying to fly me out. And I said I couldn't go because I had a job. Yeah. And Friday, they try to fly you in on Friday, work you out, send you home on Sunday. Well, sorry, bro. Sorry, bro. And my agent's like, going, Dan, what do you want to do? And I said, I can't go. I got I gotta I gotta work. <laughs> Kansas City. And like I said, I just saw where they, they signed Marty Schottenheimer. And I didn't know who Carl Peterson was, but they flew me in on a Saturday. And I said, I mean, on a Sunday, because I worked, and all I did was I went to go meet, I thought I was meeting uh, um, Marty Schottenheimer. They, they bring me into this room, and uh, it's, it's Carl Peterson. But I said, he goes, uh, hi, Dan, uh, I'm Carl Peterson. Uh, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. And I said, well, I know what Marty Schottenheimer looks like. And I said, first of all, who the hell are you? <laughs> and I'm because I like going, hey man, I'm supposed to meet Marty Schottenheimer. I know what he looks like. Who the, you know? He goes, Well, I'm uh Carl Peterson. I'm the president slash, you know, 
GM. Oh, okay. Hey, my name is Dan. You know, I'm Sagittarius. I can't wait to open up some taco shops. You know, oh my God. Anyways, that was my introduction. <laughs> no workout, Dave. No workout, no nothing. They just said, okay, thanks for coming out. And flies me back in. And at the time, in 1987, uh, we had a we had a strike. Mm-hmm. So my rookie contract was sixty thousand dollars, but when, when we went on strike, all I made was twenty thousand dollars. And my second year, uh, it, it was only uh, seventy five thousand dollars. So I said, "Hey, man, you know, if they'll sign me, you know, I told my agent that uh, you know, anything over seventy five thousand dollars, yeah, I'll go play." Anyways. That's how I signed up with Kansas City. But you got to remember now, it was back then, you could bring 100 guys to training camp. Yeah. And they had cuts every week, every week. Yeah. Anyways, I got there. It was six guys going for one position. Bill Moss, was, you know, he was a starter. Jerome Sally. They had a bunch of guys. You know, like I said, me and Jerome Sally were roommates. But we had to split our two reps, our four reps. He got two, I got two. Anyways, long story short, they're slowly cutting guys. And I'm still, I'm, uh, oh, my God, I made, you know, the, the morning that I thought I got cut, you know, they would call me Sal. So they knock on the door and they said, Sal, grab your book. So I got up, opened the door, and they go, what are you doing here? And I said, you just call me. He goes, no, drone. Jerome Sally. Oh, he was no. the Giants. And I was like, going, oh, okay. Oh, okay. So I went back to sleep. You know, anyways. But like I said, it was one of those kind of things. Um, you know, if you get a shot, what are you gonna do with it? Yeah. And so it was one of those playing the Raiders in uh, 89. Um, you know, home opener. I was Huh? The home opener that year. But, you know, like I said, Bill Moss got kicked out. Remember? He got, anyway, he got into a fight, got kicked out. Next player up, which was me, right? And in my head, I'm sitting like this. Oh, I'm up. This is it. You ain't got time to panic. It just, you know, you got to be as ready. So, Dave, you understand? Yeah. You know, if you know the answers to the question, you should ace the test, yeah. right? And sure enough, I knew the questions. But the best part was I also had the answers. And the very first, very, I come waddling on down, first three plays, I automatically know they're going to come to me. I automatically know. Yeah. Yeah. And all I do is I attack the shit out of them. It surprised the hell out of them. It was. Max Montoya, Don Mosbar, Kevin Golden, 6'6", 6'6", 6'5". And they're like, here I come running out, 6'1". And I automatically know, oh, you guys think you're just going to roll me over. Instead, a very first tackle by Salomon, tackle by Salomon, sacked by Salomon, and that was it. After that, you know, Bill Moss is coming back. And next thing you know, they're finding different ways to get me in the game. Yeah. So. You know, that, that, but like I said, Kansas City is the only team that flew me out on a Sunday. Yeah. And uh, they signed me the very next day. Okay. I went back to work. 
until it was until it, it was time to, to go back to training camp. And I told the guy, "Hey, I gotta quit. <laughs> I gotta report to training camp." Yeah. So that back in we were going to Liberty. Yeah. You yeah. Know, that's when we were up in Liberty. So yeah, that that's how I ended up choosing Kansas City. Okay. Uh, real quick, going back to the Fiesta Bowl. Do you know who the starting guard was for that Notre Dame team? No. Tim Grunhard. But I know who? Tim Grunhard. Really? Brother-in-law. He was starting wait, 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 for that wait, wait, Notre Dame no. team. You know what? The, the difference was they kept calling this guy tackle by ale, tackle by ale, which was Arnold Ale, and he was a small freshman. He was a small freshman. But um, what's funny is that he ends up kind of signing with Kansas City. So he stays with me, and uh, <clears throat> he was say, oh, I went to Notre Dame. I go, Notre Dame? They said you came to UCLA. He goes, oh, no, I played my freshman year, got homesick, and went back to UCLA. And I go, what? He goes, wait a minute. Did you play the Fiesta Bowl? He goes, yeah. And I go, <laughs> oh, my God. They kept calling you Ale. Arnold Ale on the tackle. Arnold Ale. And I kept going, it's Ale. It's, he's a small. And I was like, oh, oh, my God, bro. You were, like, all over that field. And I just thought about that. Tim Grunhart was the. Starting right guard. Oh yep. my god! Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to your relationship with Granny here in a second. Oh. Um, what what are your fondest memories of playing in Kansas City, besides oh, making the first three tackles on the first three plays during <laughs> the game? <laughs> uh, Monday night, nineteen ninety two, ninety one. It was uh, it's Buffalo. No, no, no. Green oh, Bay, okay. Green okay. Bay. We still had, um, we still had uh, AstroTurf, and uh, uh, I just remember it was a close game, and uh, we were down on their by their goal line, and they were coming out, and uh, Brett Favre was the quarterback at the time, and um, I just remember that you know we got to stop, we got to stop, and uh, sure enough they. You know, they were trying to do fake whatever. Anyways, bottom line was I I kind of like juked the guy, came out of nowhere, tackled the I tackled the, the the running back right at, right right before he hits the line of scrimmage, but he fumbled. And uh, uh the ball comes popping out and we cover it and uh you know on Monday night football, and I know everybody's watching back yeah, home San yeah. Diego. and uh you know my kids were small at the time you know one of the things i did after the game is i called the kids you know and they go they go once they once they saw your face on tv this is my ex-wife at the time once they saw your face on tv they turned they they go okay there's dad and then they went off to the room start playing the <laughs> so, you know but yeah monday night football uh, we still had AstroTurf at the time and, you know, getting the big hit and being uh, defensive player, the player of the game that, that night yeah. on Monday Night Football, you know. Uh, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned the, uh, um, the, the fact that you caused the fumble. You still hold the, the record for career fumbles recovered uh, by a chief, by an individual chief. Why were you so good as, at that? Well, you know, 
I'm closer to the ground than most of those other guys. So it was easier to, to, to bend down. But um, no, <clears throat> you know, that was another thing too, Dave. During, during <clears throat> our negotiations, one of the things that uh, I told my agent to put in there is to put a clause. Uh, any sacks, uh, fumble recoveries, turnovers, that was like a little incentive pr- uh, package. Yeah, and then one one year, uh, I had I had eight eight fumble recoveries in one year. My goodness, that was a nice little check to head out to Campo San Lucas in, in January. So, you know, <laughs> it was one of those kind of things. Uh, you know, guys like Derek Thomas, you know, they we, you know, not not blow up the, the quarterback. It was more strip the quarterback. Right. I mean, a, a turnover killed a killed the momentum more than a sack. Yeah. And, like I said, I was fortunate to uh, play with guys that, you know, long arms and, and you know, they, 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 they stripped the hell out the ball. And like I said, I was just fortunate enough to be around it. And, you know, um, you know, I, I didn't know I was, I didn't know I still held that record, but it was one of those kinds of things, you know, or something. Yeah. And then, like I said, it was one of those, you know, hey, picked up some money on the way out. <laughs> incentive, incentives. Okay. Yeah, we talked about Grunhardt, as you know, uh, and I'm fr- good friends with Tim, helped him write his book. And he told me about the partnership that you guys had, uh, contrary to Marty Schottenheimer's rule against brothers-in-law. First of all, <laughs> what, what is meant by brother-in-law in the NFL? So, so training camp and Marty Schottenheimer, he believed balls to the wall every day. You, you were, you were, you were, you were battling not, not no, you know, we, we had, we were still full pads yeah. and we were going at each other. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, what first day of pads, you know, everybody's trying to like, you know, show the other guy up. And so <clears throat> every time me and Tim went against each other, you know, don't get me wrong. We, we, we battled a lot. And then here comes a, Oh, here comes the rook, you know? So as we got, so after Tim's fourth year, say I was after his fourth year, you know, we, we were at training camp and, and I said, hey, man, <clears throat> you know, come on, man. You ain't got to prove nothing to nobody. You know, but we, we're still on video. We're still on video. And uh, we started a program called Brother-in-Law. So there's a defensive period and an offensive period. So anytime it was the defensive period, uh, we would have signals. <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you. <laughs> He's already told it and it's in his book. So. That's okay. So anyways, so anyways, me and him. So he would touch a pad, left or right. This is when it's defensive period. And he would touch a pad of which direction we're going. And we would make all the noises. <laughs> uh, you know, it's waving our hands. I'm trying to push it back, you know. Because during training camp back then, I mean, it was just crazy. But you didn't know no better. And, you know, here we are in Liberty uh, and it's muggy and, you know, guys are trying to make the team. And, and you know, again, there's a hundred guys out there. Yeah. And uh, so during, during, oh, but, but when the rookie showed up, you know, okay, hey, you know, we got the Outland Trophy winner this year. Like, oh, and he get in the game. And, you know, then it was like, oh, no, no, no. You know, come on. You know, and they go to work. Same thing. When the, Offensive rookie, you know, they, the, the, the secondary center, 
you know, oh, no, 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 no. There's no, <laughs> there's no front yeah. lawn no more. But remember now, <clears throat> you're the regular season. And during the regular season, Marty didn't believe in half pads or shells or none of that. And it was always balls to the wall. He goes, I believe that we practice the way we play. So you must go hard. You must, you know. So, you know, there'll be days like, you know, it's 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 cold now, you know, and you know, oh, we're, but we're going to Buffalo, so we gotta practice outside. You know, we don't look at that building. It's just to start, you know, to keep the haze and all the wild animals nice and warm. Don't worry about us. We stayed outside. <laughs> so, you know, and again, you know, eight years together and <laughs> You know, until you have to face each other on opposite teams. And, you know, I, I stand up signing with Seattle and, you know, we come back, play Kansas City and it's raining. Yeah. It's, I mean, the water's coming off the stairs down at Arrowhead. And on one side of the field, uh, it's just puddled up. It's just puddled up. And I just remember uh, lining up and, uh, Brother Law, my ass. That's all I said. I'm putting water on the ball. I'm doing all this just to piss them off. But uh, it was just, I just remember uh, first time going against them. And, you know, it kind of felt weird. Yeah. But, you know, I, I was more, oh, no, I want to win. And, you know, back then, Seattle was back in the AFC West. And, and um, you know, but no, Tim and I go back. I just, like I said, I remember him when he was a, when he was a rookie and, you know, uh, he's just, you know, he would visit me during the offseason because I guess he had a brother, played minor league baseball, and they would come out here to spring training. And uh, it, he, it, he was fun. And he's still yeah. fun today. Yeah, he, he told the story that you were the one that came up with the concept that you, you know, during the offensive drills, you would kind of lean your head one way. <laughs> and you, he was trying to figure out, was this a setup? And then he figured out after a while that you were telling him which way the defense was going. So he would look good. And then he said, then it was time for the defensive drills. And, and he said, Dan would, would say, okay, I want you to help me back. He goes, was this really a setup? Were they just trying to get me out of there? He said, it took me a while to come to grips with it, but he, he's, you know, he talked about in many of the same things. It's you make, you make me look good. I'll make you look good. Right. So both look good. Even though Marty would say at the beginning of practice, no brothers-in-law today. You guys were able to pull it really, you, you got to watch video before you come out. So you would always yeah. watch the film. So the one thing you didn't want to do is like, hey, man, he's, you know, he's hooking you. He's reaching you. You know, or, or like, God damn it, Tim, you know, you got you to stop the, the, the penetrating. You know? so. Yeah. I don't know if he's ever told you the story. He, I he guess told, we're not going to take that to our grave. Why are we Tim? <laughs> he told the story in the book that when he was doing radio after his career ended and he had a, he had a co-host who didn't, who didn't play pro football, didn't know that much. He was a sports guy. He was a journalist, but he didn't know of your relationship with him. And so you, you came on as a guest and you're like, Hey, brother-in-law, Hey, brother-in-law, how are you? And stuff. And he was just going along with it. And, a few months later, the radio station held a, a gathering uh, with all the staff and um, his wife, Sarah, came up and he introduced he introduced. Yeah, Doug, this is my wife, Sarah. And he was like, oh, nice to meet you. And a few minutes later, he pulls him aside, says, Sarah's not Samoan. He says, what are you <laughs> talking about? He says, well, you said I know you did only have 
you only have a brother, so it means your wife has to be Dan Sally Amua's sister. She's not Samoan. <laughs> oh, I guess, I guess not everybody knew about that. Uh, no. Damn, uh, Tim, why you have to write the book for? <laughs> What's that? I said, Tim, right, spilling all our secrets. <laughs> all, yeah, all, they, he everything figured, was supposed to be tucked away in the closet. He bringing it all back out. Yeah, he figures a statute of limitations is, is up on that. So I guess once you hit 50, it's 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 all fair, fair game. Yeah. Now we we talked about your upbeat attitude. It's pretty obvious for people listening in and watching this that you know that you're a, a happy guy and you're you know you're engaged with people and stuff. And I told you this when I talked to you on the phone recently that you had an encounter with my daughter who was in the fourth grade. I wrote a book and you mentioned Joe Phillips. I helped Joe write a book after the 95 season and we were selling it that next spring at a, at a festival down at the river market area. And you came up because we were in a booth with other chiefs merchandise and you came up and started chatting with her and she tried to sell you a book and you, you and she were just very engaged in conversation until you got ready to leave. And she asked you who you were <laughs> And you laugh so hard. He's like, this this little fourth grade girl is just engaging with me. You thought she knew all about Dan Sally Lula, the NFL player and stuff. And she was just being friendly. And you just laughed. You just you took that so well. I was always impressed. In fact, I told my daughter the other night that uh, I was going to interview you. And she says, oh, I hope he doesn't remember that time. <laughs> but you just like engaging with people, don't you? You know, how do you say that? Uh... You know, you don't know. Uh, that's why I said uh, I have a friend tell me, you know, careful how you treat him. You yeah. just don't know. And, uh, you know, I just remember, you know, when I was in, I was in the locker room and uh, former players would come and visit us. Mm -hmm. you know, all the former chiefs would come by, bring food, yada, yada, yada. And I just remember listening to guys uh, in the locker room going, you know, what do those guys want? You know, I'm like, uh, what? You know, I was like, those are, our, you know, those are our alumni. Those are the guys that were here before us. You know, I thought it was like an honor to see yeah. these guys. And I just remembered how one of the players said, what the hell do those guys want? And I kind of like, I'll never come back in this locker room. That's how, you, <laughs> that's how they feel about you. You know, all these former players, Coming back, you know, like they said, you know, like, you know, fraternity and just how some players looked at you like, what do you want? Yeah. You know, what are you doing here? And I, I just said, oh, and ever since, like I said, careful how you treat people. Yeah. You never know. I met, I met, I met, I met a golf tournament last year for Deron Cherry mm. and the people that we're playing with, you know, I'm here to have fun and, and you know, and uh, this is like, 30 years ago, and the, and the gentleman goes, hey, Dan, you know, uh, you, you were having dinner one night down at Garozo's, and I, I I came up to you, and I asked you, would you please sign uh, um, this paper, you know, for my, for my, for my sister, and I kind of like, what? He goes, oh, Dan, you were just, you were just so kind, and, and I said, I go, did I sign it? He goes, oh, my God, not only did you sign it, you know, you let me take a picture, but you were there with your family, and you just said, hey, is, are we good? Anyways, you know, never thought anything about him anymore. 
So the guy goes, you know, he goes, I go, oh my God. You know, I'm, I'm like, okay, right on, you know, right on. And I turn to the guy that I'm sitting with. He goes, do you remember him? I go, no. Yeah. He goes, but evidently he remembered me yeah. because the way I treated him on that day, 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, and uh, just like you said, you know, hey, Dad, I remember you talking to my daughter. And I'm like, uh, what? Did she want to sell no cookies? <laughs> but I'm just saying, you yeah, know, you don't know, Dave, right? You don't yeah. know. Yeah. And me, like I said, if you treat me like shit, okay, okay now I can treat you like shit. That's why I said, I believe in care for how you treat people. You never know. And I knew exactly who you were when you walked up. You probably didn't know me because I didn't cover that many Chiefs games at that time. But you walked up and, and I remember looking at my wife saying, that's Dan Sally Moore. My daughter didn't either didn't hear me or didn't recognize, but she was, she's got the same personality as you. She's going to treat everybody nicely. Right. And it didn't matter to her that you were an NFL player. You're just a big guy with a big smile on your face. <laughs> and see, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I just know that one day, you're going to be an average Joe. You're going to be a regular person. Yeah. You're not the football player. Anymore. Yeah. That's why I said, no matter what, because like I said, I, I got humbled early in my life and from my mom and uh, trying to be a, you know, a tough guy. And she took me back to that coach. And she says, you apologize. And then you ask him if you can come back on the team. I apologize and, and, and asked if I come back on the team. And he said, no. Mm. And I said, <laughs> I thought my mom did that, you know, try to embarrass me. Oh, my mom taught me, you know, you better learn how to humble yourself yeah. and appreciate, appreciate whatever little bit of moment that you get. That's it. And like yeah. I said, I learned earlier in my life. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Careful how you treat people. Yeah. Speaking of treating people well, um, our mutual friend, Tim Brunhard, went into the Chiefs Hall of Fame last November. Did you feel like, you, first of all, did you feel like you had a little part of that by letting him look so good in the offensive drills and practice? And how do you feel about Grunny being in the Hall of Fame? Oh, no, I'm proud of my brother. I'm so, you know, it's an honor. I, I'm so happy for, I saw him at, at that event, at the, that golf tournament, and I heard about it, and I, you know, gave him a big hug. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, Tim, Tim, Tim is one of those kind of guys you can always count on. Yeah. No matter what. Uh, rain or shine, snow. Uh, Tim was there, and uh, like I said, he was. Uh, you know, he gave you a hundred percent. You know that that honor of you know having your name up there. You know, forever. Uh, you know, I think that's that's just. I'm just happy for Tim. I'm happy for his family. But like I said, it's one of those kind of things. You know, you bring your kids there, and they, uh, and they see your name up there. You know, because he. You look at them like, man, what did you do? You know, <laughs> you know no, no, because you know, it's like, you know, who, who's who's Lynn Dawson, you know, who, who's yeah. Buddy Bell, you know, and it's like, all we know is Patrick Mahomes and, and you know, Travis Kelsey, you know, and like, see, it's like, just like how they're saying LeBron James, Michael Jordan. I go, but what about Kareem? You don't remember yeah. Kareem, you know. No, nobody's going to remember Kareem. All they know is LeBron James or Michael Jordan. Yeah. And slowly yeah. all the Michael Jordan people, because now it's more what they see now. All the yeah. kids now is LeBron James, you know? So I do, it just, it's just funny. It's like, but you know what? 
you'll find my name on that stadium. You go out there, they're going to see Tim Grunhardt. And then I'm going to put Tim Grunhardt, my brother-in-law. <laughs> I'm going to go up to spray paint, my brother-in-law. <laughs> it's funny. He, he mentioned the fact that a lot of people told him his name should have been up there earlier. And he said, I'm glad it took as long as it did because his kids are all adults now. And he right. said that was the first time they had ever been down on the sideline during a game because they went down like five minutes before the half. And he said, especially his daughters looked at him and said, Dad, these guys are really big. You actually played against people that size. <laughs> said it finally hit home to them what their dad had accomplished. Right. I'm really glad it, they were the age that they were. Uh, Dan, I want to talk about the Samoan connection in the NFL. Well, first of all, why, are, why do you think there are so many Samoans drawn to football? I think the majority of it are back on the islands. It's more rugby. And right. New Zealand, Australia, um, even in American Samoa, uh, you know, rugby's like the big thing because um, you ain't got you, you don't need a helmet, you don't need shoulder pads. But when the when you when the Samoan parents move to the states, you know, all the kids get involved in high school and slowly they get into to, to, uh, football. Um, I was one of those. Uh, Samoan kids that got introduced because of my older brothers. Okay. And, you know, they all got scholarships and I got a scholarship and, you know, you know, I got drafted on the one, you know, back then we only had one day. Right. And, uh, you know, I got drafted in the seventh round. And uh, it's funny how I see a bunch of other Samoan kids, Polynesian kids, Tongan, Samoan, Fijian, all these guys. Uh, and I, I explained to them about, hey, you only got one shot, you know, because I know a lot of kids that get one shot yeah. to go to college, but they got the parents got to remember it's on them now. You did your part. Yeah. It's time to do their part. So I, 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 I you know, and like I said, there was other older smalls when I was growing up, Manutuya Sopo, Mosa Tutupu. Uh, you know, guys that were playing, but there was only sprinkle here, sprinkle there. Yeah. By the time I come in the league, uh, Bicekahema, Junior Seau, Jesse Sapolu, uh, Pio Sangapoetele, Don Sasa, these are all the guys that are in the AFC West. Yeah. You know, that, you know besides Jesse Sapolu playing in the NFC, but, you know, we, there was only a handful back then. And, <clears throat> you know, they, they, they're, they're, they're I, I guess the biggest thing is, with the internet, more information is more is accessible yeah. to them. Yeah. Compared to back in the nineties, there was no internet. And you know, we gotta do what? And you know, you're training on your own. Now you got all these videos of guys training. And you know, but as you know, football was just, you know, it was just another step. Yeah. And you know, growing up Samoan, it was it was church, uh, take care of your family and work. Children, church, do your chores, go to school. Yeah. So being raised in San Diego and the little community of Samoan uh, families, same thing. So I kind of went through that whole growing up Samoan thing, but then you're influenced by all the other cultures around you. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to grow up around a lot of different nationalities. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
you know, we always, you know, you only get one one bite at the apple, one shot at this. And, and I, I, I try to explain to kids how, you know, they're going to give you a scholarship. Yeah. But the scholarship not for you. That's for your parents. That means they're going to give you, they don't have to pay nothing. Yeah. You, but the, the catch is you have to stay eligible. A lot of kids go to college. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, they either get homesick. I got homesick. I try to run home. Uh, you know, but I try to explain so there's a, that's an opportunity to, to, to get your life going. Yeah. You know, some, some parents don't see that. Come on home, baby. Come on home. I just remember I tried that my freshman year, you know, me and another freshman, we went home, he lived in LA and I lived in San Diego. He dropped me off and I walked into the house. My mom looked at me. She goes, what are you doing here? I said, mama, you don't miss me. She goes, nope. I'm on my way to bingo. And she left me. And I said, oh. <laughs> Anyways, I understood what she was saying. Yeah. Back then, at 17 years old, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. Because fast forward 10 years later, thank you, Mom. Thank yeah. you. One of, one of my closest friends uh, is a guy named Joe New, who grew up in Watts. And a little older than you. He just turned 61. Uh, but was... Uh, he's from Western Samoa. His, his father is a, a tribal chief down there, uh, still still living in, at age 90 something. And Joe talks about the fact that athletics for the Samoan community, at least in Los Angeles, in that part of Los Angeles, you either, you either ran with the gangs or you played sports. Now, unfortunately, he did both and he got in trouble. And that's why he was being recruited by Penn State and USC as a linebacker and ended up going to junior college. And, and then Montana State or Montana or, or something like that, because he he had so many problems with the law. He didn't have didn't fulfill his opportunity. But he keeps talking about, you know, sports is a is a way out of the of the hood. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of the people from Samoa that come to the States think, OK, I'm moving to the States, the land of opportunity. But where they get where they land in the States is not full of opportunity. And so sports is the way out. Yeah. And like I said, uh, you know, being raised by a single mom, five boys, father passed away in Vietnam, still speak English. So it, it was hard, mm -hmm. but it, it wasn't hard because we always had each other. And, yeah. You know, uh, when, when the first one left, everybody got like, no, what do we do? My older brother, when he went to college at Oregon State. And then my second brother, he ends up going to Hawaii. And I'm like, oh. so me and my other brother, you know, he ends up going to Utah. And I went to Arizona State. And then my little brother goes to junior college and he's doing his little thing. And it's just funny how we slowly like, you know, oh my God, now what do we do? I'm homesick. You're going through all the trials and tribulations of, you know, maintaining uh, a GPA, showing up for practice. Um, you know, it's hard yeah. mentally, mentally. Yes, I wish I was, my mom and the guys is down the street and I can just go home and no, no. And I, I try to explain that to my son about how, you know, you gotta, you gotta go through this period because you don't know. And, uh, you know, it, 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 like I said, if it was easy, I should have stayed my ass home, you know, but yeah. it wasn't. And, you know, I chose this school 
like I said, to me, it felt like San Diego. So I showed up in August and I was like, what the hell is hot as hell? Over here? <laughs> so, you know, but like I said, I was, I was, uh, I worked my butt off. Yeah. Uh, to do the things I was able to do because, uh, like my agent said, how can I negotiate, Dan, if you sitting on the sideline? And like I said, ever since then, you know, he's yesterday, yesterday, I was with my agent. And he lives in Boulder, Colorado, but he comes in for a month and we go play golf. And, and we were playing golf yesterday. We, we started talking about how, uh, yeah, uh, no matter what they offer Dan, Dan will refuse it. You can play with another, another attorney. And he goes, he goes the, the year that I get my big contract, I mean, they agreed to that thing, uh, the, the, the $12 million for four years, done. And I said, no, 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 Jack, no, no, no. Uh, I want more money. He goes, what are you talking about? They're giving you half of that money up front. Back then, the signing bonus was our guaranteed money. Right. And, uh, and I go, no, Jack, you're not listening. I don't want to go to training camp. <laughs> I hate, I hate training with the money. camp. Oh, my gosh. I hate that thing. Tim Grunhart was at the room across from me. You know, we were, we were in, uh, in, in Wisconsin. And, uh, you know. <laughs> Playing our music, and you know, you know, it was just like, like I said, you, um, you know, whatever I could do to get out of going to training camp, a week two, I'd do it, I'd do it. Anyways, it was one of those, you know, <laughs> Daddy would do everything, anything in his power to stay out of training camp. But you got to remember now, you know, Marty Schottenheimer, you know, it's time to put the pads on. You never took them back on. Yeah, yeah. You know, so when you when you go to another team and, and the coach says, "All right, take your pants off," what? So he's just looking like, "What? Are you are you joking?" Yeah. Goes, oh no no no, take your pants off. And I said, "Wow, Damn. <laughs> okay, hey, I got you." You know, so it, it like I said, it was it was fun. It was fun that whole time out there. <clears throat> what are you doing to keep yourself busy now that you're retired from football? Well, I I got like I said I. I I got my one grandson, my four-year-old. Uh, uh, I, I, I kind of put him in like a little program, tutoring, reading and math. And then I, I'm the workout. I'm the workout. So when we go play golf, <laughs> I hit the ball. And then I jump in the cart. And then he thinks he's going to jump back in the cart. And I said, ah, go find my ball. <laughs> he's running, he's running, and I'm driving on the car, and I'm driving on the car. And as soon as I get to the ball, I here he comes, and I hit the ball again, and he's about ready to sit in the car. And I go, ah, go hold the flag, and he has to run. <laughs> so I told my wife, I make him run nine holes at this golf course. I make him run all nine holes, but I got water. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Is it time for water break? I said, after every three holes, I give you a water break. So it's a par three, a par four, and a par five. And I, he's running the whole time. I said, if you walk, you lose your water break. So he does a slow jog. And oh, my God. But I, I tell my wife, he goes, why you mean to him? I go, no, nah, I'm exercising his legs. I'm exercising his lungs. No one else is doing that. Just like I'm exercising his brain. No one else is throwing words, sentences, adding numbers, counting numbers. You know, uh, there's a writing class where he has to learn how to hold the pen. 
Ain't no one doing that. Yeah. Y'all think because he's four years old, he ain't, oh, no, no. If he's four, then don't bring, anyways, they're coming back tomorrow. <laughs> I get one week break, then they show up. So then I, I got a, I got my seven-year-old, he's in second grade. And, you know, I did the same thing to him when he was four years old. Tutoring, workout, you know, because I explained to my wife, I'm just trying to get a habit, make a habit out of this. So now when he sees, when he does good in class, reading assignment, math assignment, you know, he shows my wife, but then he can't wait to come show me. And I sit there and I critique it. I never, I give him that good job. Is that all you got from me? He goes, I, I know, I know, I know. Because I pay for their grades. A, you know, you know, now I got a 13-year-old, so I got to give him 100 bucks for all the A's he gets, 50 bucks, because he got older now. So here, oh, no, no, it's 20 bucks, 10 bucks. And if you got a C, you get a, you just get an attaboy because you just showed up for class. And that, you know, but yeah. anyways, these are just habits. But prior to him turning four, I worked at Casa. You familiar with that program? Mm -hmm. Casa, C-A-S-A, court-appointed special advocate. You work okay. with foster kids. Okay. And you go to a two-day class, get certified, and then you choose these kids. And I, I chose a – I got a seven-year-old boy who – was already at 12 different placements mm. at seven years old. Wow. I was with him for a year and a half before he got adopted. Once the child gets adopted, you turn in all his files and all this stuff, and then you go pick another child. Well, being with that child, and again, <clears throat> I, I, I didn't know what I signed up for. I was like, I'm sitting on the table talking to you, and I just heard on the TV, for free pizza, call 602. <laughs> I, just, I wrote the number down and I called it. And, you know, to get the free pizza. I go, yeah, I like a free pizza. So thank you so much for volunteering to be part of CASA. And I said, what? And she's telling me, you know, we need you to be here at this date, this date. I went, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's like an introductory thing. And it's all, it, it, it's nationwide. It's, yeah. it's in Kansas City, you know, anyways. I really enjoyed that because, um, you know, these kids didn't ask to be in these places. You know, the parents are supposed to protect them. And for some reason or another, the state had to step in and remove the children from the parents. Anyway, so like I said, I, I, like, to, I like doing that. They only ask for two hours out of the month for you mm -hmm. to spend some time with this child. You learn everything from medical, uh, education, outbursts, you know, and he has a team of people, you know, overseeing him. And it's like team concept, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, Dan, how was your, you know, how's your reaction with him? You know, and we all stayed like we were all on the same page from the psychologist to the foster parents to the education part. And my role, my role is to talk for the child when we go back to court, because the parents, they all have attorneys. They have someone speaking for them. Who speaks for the child? I do. And there's, there's so many uh, foster parents who are asking for more counselors. And um, it, 
you know, it's all volunteer. It's all, they, they got so much activities for these kids that are free and they just need somebody to be there to take them to these activities. So I, I, what? A free football camp. Oh yeah. We, we, we signed up for that. You know, with Christmas party, you know, any activity, uh, you know, we did, but the, the goal was, <clears throat> was to, in my, in my opinion, I tried to do my best to get him ready yeah. because like I said, you ain't going to be seven no more. That's why I keep praying. What did you go? What did you learn? Don't tell me you didn't learn nothing. That's not the job here. Our job is, did you go to school? Because I know kids, there's kids out there that don't go to school. Yeah. You went to school, what did you learn? Tell me what you learned. So, <laughs> you know, uh, if you had any outburst, consequence. They don't let me visit you. When the foster parent says, oh, damn, we, we had a bad day today with him. And I'm like, what? Because we talked about it. We talked about it. Uh, you know, consequence. So uh, he eventually got adopted. And uh, I go to the, ado you know, to, to the adoption day. And he's all fired up. And you know, I met his other biological sisters. You know, like, he was number seven of six other, of seven siblings. He was number seven, the last one. Everybody else got adopted. And uh, he was just happy. And, you know, they can still keep in contact with you if they choose to. Right. But they want you, they want me to go back, you know, and, and choose another child. I said, oh, hold on, hold on. I go, I got, I got a two-year-old who's about ready to turn three that, you know, he's going to start walking and I'm going to start, you know, getting him ready. And... Uh, <laughs> Again, you know, after this one, I'm gonna go back to Costco. Okay. Because I, I really enjoyed it. Um, because I keep telling my wife, they got so much free stuff for these free stuff for these kids. Why wouldn't you want to take them? I go, I get to go free too with them. <laughs> Anyways, you know, Andy, you still I, follow I the Chiefs? Costco. Huh? You still follow the Chiefs? Yes. Uh, you know, you know, it's it's hard to watch football now. You know, okay, but I'm 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 so excited for, you know, Kansas City, the city, just you know, I know that feeling of how close, uh, we were one step, um, you know, you know, to getting there, and 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 to see them, you know, like I said, you know, everybody remembers Patrick Mahomes, uh, Kelsey. Tariq Hill. Uh, and I was like, oh, Tariq, where's Tariq? Oh, yeah, economics. Yeah. Economics. Hey, man, we can't pay you, but we're going to go ahead and trade you and try to get as much as we can. Wow. See, economics. Don't get mad. It's the business. Yeah. So when they come to you, they say, you need to take a pay cut. No, no. Okay. You know, I show up for training camp, you know, I'm on PUP. What is that? I go, didn't I pass the physical? And he goes, well, no one tells you nothing. Yeah. So I'm calling my agent. I go, hey, man, they're not practicing. And a week goes by. And, and um, Marty Schottenheimer pulls me over. And he goes, Dan, I need, you, I need you to take this pay cut. And I said, coach, weren't you the one that told me to take care of my family? How am I taking care of my family if I take a pay cut? I said, no, man. I go, cut me. And we're already a week into training camp. So everybody basically you know, spent their cap. 
And I think it was on the street for maybe three days. Chicago calls, Washington calls, and then Seattle calls. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, they, they offered me the same identical money. Uh, you know, plus, you know, there's no sales, there's no state tax. You're going to get more money now. And remember, back then, you got to get as much upfront money as possible. Yeah. And uh, not only did they give me identical money, but I was going to make money, you know. I was still going to make uh, more money because I go to uh, Seattle. He goes, Dan, Randy Miller says, if we agree to this, remember, I didn't sign up. I want to go ahead and put it on the ticker on the Monday night game on, 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 uh, during preseason. I said, bro, if you're going to give me that, my signing bonus and the same identical money, you got me. He goes, all right. So, you know, Carl, I call Carl Peterson. I go, hey, just want to say thank you for everything you've done, yada, yada, yada. You know, hey, nothing personal. It's just business. <laughs> he said, sure enough, he goes, where are you going? I go, oh, I'm, I'm going to Seattle. He goes, for less money? I go, no, exact money. He goes, you didn't sign nothing. Don't go. And I went, what? <laughs> I said, you were so adamant about me taking a pay cut. He goes, as long as you didn't sign nothing, you don't have to go. And I went, no. I gave that man my word. Yeah. I said, and I was so scared to get on. The, I was afraid Carl Peterson was going to be at the airport with a, pay, a contract and a pin on. I'm not going to sign nothing. I'm not going to sign nothing. But it was it, that, 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 you know, that's how I ended up in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, Joe Ferguson, Joe Ferguson. And uh, it ain't got nothing to do with loyalty. It's about economics. Yeah. And I, I see these guaranteed contracts. And like I said, all I can say is like, you know, job well done. Yeah. You know, yeah. because I was, like I said, making $60,000 my rookie year to making $12 million by the end of the time I'm done. You know, I was fortunate to be given that opportunity. Remember, yeah. Someone yeah. gave me a shot. Yeah. And I look at, I told my wife, because of the work I did 30 years ago, I get to sit here and go play golf with my agent. Yeah. Uh, you know, be able to take my grandkids to school. You know, but like I said, I, I you know, I got, I still talk to friends, but, but the only guys that out of the Chiefs, and the only time I talk to Grinhard is when I go to Kansas City and we're at a golf event. Yeah. Um, but like I said, Tracy Simeon, Joe Phillips. Uh, and like I said, when I see those guys uh, at these golf events, you know, Duran Cherry's event, uh, Christian Okoye still hosts things back in Kansas City. Uh, he's doing a roast uh, uh, May 1st or something like that. And he goes, Sal, Sal. I go, no, man. I go, I don't want to talk. He goes, no, I just need you to be there. I said, okay. You fly me in, I'll come in and put me up. And I go, you know, I'll, I'll show up for your event. But I go, stop, Christian. Let the, let the young kids do this now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's basically what I would do if I didn't have my grandkids. Yeah. All right. I always like to wrap up with this question. What is your legacy? Uh, Dan shared. Everything that happened to me, I shared with family and friends a lot. Um, from 
growing up, uh, all I remember is like all the stuff I did while I was in the NFL and the, the things that I showed family and friends about, you know, look what the NFL does. Look what the NFL can do. Here's some of the other stuff the NFL does. Yeah. But my legacy would be, I just remember going to dance softball, softball tournaments during the off season and his after parties. <laughs> I got kids now that come up to me and they said, hey, oh my God, I, I used to go to your softball tournament just to go to your after parties. <laughs> I totally forgot about those, those, those things I did. And, 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 and you know, I, I believe in uh, I believe in puff puff pass. And everything that I learned, I try to push on my sons, who now I'm trying to show my grandkids. Because my role, my role is to keep keep passing it on, keep passing it on. Last week, two weeks ago, we were in Las Vegas for a family reunion. All of my uh, my cousins from my mom's all of my mom's siblings, uncles, aunts, all passed away. So we are all the kids mm-hmm. of, of, of this family. And I try to explain to them. I go, when do you, when do you, when we were growing up, we'd always get together when the parents got together. So when should we get together now? You know, so I started this thing right when, right when my, uh, after my mom had passed away, I started this little family ga- gathering just for two days. And just to break bread, tell stories, you know, I'll see you guys in a year or in two mm-hmm. years. So, you know, in my opinion, my legacy is what did you do with all that information? Did you pass it on or you kept it to yourself? So, oh, no, I, I'm trying to show everything to my grandkids. Even when they get 18, I go, 18, you're an adult. You know, you still get to make a choice. What do you want to do? Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> but I was, but my legacy is puff, puff, pass, because everything I learned, I passed it on. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I appreciate you spending the time with us. This was fun, fun to catch up with you. I think the last time I saw you face to face was at that event uh, with my daughter. Uh, but uh, it's good to catch up with you. And, and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Big Dave. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.